Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. Uh, let me see here. Get my clicker working. Uh, we're so glad that you're here with you. See lots of new faces out there this morning. Uh, if you're wondering who the heck I am and you're around here a while, I, uh, I'm Caleb, uh, and I'm one of the overseers uh, here on staff at Hiawatha. So this is um, the one time a year that they stick me up here. I did it one time last year, and uh, they, they asked me to do it again this year. So I guess... Um, I didn't get kicked off the team, so that was good. <laughs> but um, yeah, just, just w- want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, quick intro on, on me, if you can see it. So that's me on the right, and then uh, you got Truman with the snotty nose and the, the sandy hands. He's our middle child. Luke with the Batman helmet, and Fletcher with the, the rainbow outfit, and then uh, Ellen is my wife. So um, that's our family. We've been coming to Hiawatha for about eight or nine years now, and uh, we just call this place home, and, and we love being here, and um, so it's just, it's a real honor to get to stand up here this morning and, and just uh, share the Word of God with, with all of you. So, um, quick intro here to the series, if, if you've not been around, we're going through the book of John, uh, and it's, I think we're in about an 18-month series, and we're like a third-ish of the way through, so we're, we're, we're chugging our way through here, um, and this morning we're going to read about a man who was born blind. Um, so before I read it though, let's just pray here together real quick um, as, we, as we read God's word together. Um, God, I just uh, thank you for this opportunity to, to preach, to share your word. Um, God, as Jonah prayed, I pray that we would just see more of the gospel today, that our hearts would be refreshed anew in, in who you are and in the words that you have for us. So um, God, meet us where we're at uh, with all the different things we're bringing in here this morning. Would we just um, see Jesus in a new light? Uh, would he just speak to our hearts freshly, and would we be encouraged in that this morning? So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in uh, your Bible or your phone app, you can turn to John 9, and we'll read that together. So John 9, 1 through 12. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. And others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. So for those of you who are list people, I broke today's sermon into three points because that's how my brain works is in threes. So, um, so, that, so if you're a note taker, you can kind of write that down. That's how we're going to go through it. Uh, and for those of you who've been around, I'm going to take the first two points and we're going to kind of explore the, the human side and the divine side of, of each of these uh, sections of the passage because uh, I think oftentimes there's things that we can take very practically for our life, but then also there's a greater story being played out um, that, that relates to the gospel. Uh, this is a story that many of you probably have heard before. Uh, it's not the only time that Jesus heals someone who's blind in the Bible as well. Um, 
But what we're going to try to do today is, is uh, as Chris often says, twist the diamond of the gospel and, and just see the light of how the gospel shines through this passage in, in a couple different ways. Um, and the other thing that I hope you'll see is how there is a grander story playing out in, in just a short story here that we read. There's um, huge implications for our lives and, and who Jesus is. So um, there's more that we could cover that I won't today, but I uh, hope you'll just see the, the rich imagery um, that's in here and, and catch a glimpse of who Jesus is. Uh, and that you'll leave, my, my prayer is that you'll leave seeing Jesus afresh and feeling your, your burdens and your weights lifted um, and left at, at the foot of the cross. So here's how we're going to look at it, the brokenness, the blindness, and the healing. So first, the brokenness. Uh, I just have kind of a word on suffering. So John 9, 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Um, I listened to several sermons from John 9 in preparation for today, and no, I'm not just going to copy what they said, but I did think about it. Cross. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I noticed uh, is that many of them focus on the suffering of this man. And um, while that's not where we're going to spend the majority of our time today, I think it's worth starting here um, to recognize that this all revolves around a man who was born blind uh, from birth. Uh, he suffered his entire life. From the moment he was born, he was born blind. Um, and this condemned him to a life of suffering. As we read later on, the neighbors and those who kind of knew who he was knew that he was a beggar who sat by the gate or around their town and, and asked for things because the time he was born in history, he couldn't work. He, he couldn't do anything due to his condition. The reason I bring this up is because I think we've all experienced suffering in life and, and you may be suffering right now. You may currently be suffering from something that, um, that you're just experiencing very directly. And that, that's the brokenness that we can all see and experience around us. It's very tangible. We have sick kids or broken relationships or bodies that don't do what we want them to. Um, we have worldwide pandemics. Uh, you might have seen or, or experienced racism or sexism. You might have bad bosses. Um, you might be physically broken. We're just weary and our souls are tired and spirits taxed. You may be here this morning sitting here thinking that that is 100% me. And I think that's where this man is at today. Born blind, his whole life, weary and broken. And then Jesus walks by and he sees him. Um, and he bends down and he talks to him. Jesus gets on his level. He gets eye to eye in the mud, in the dirt with him. He puts mud in his eyes, which we'll get into in a little bit. And then he tells them, he tells them to wash in the pool and the man comes back seen. Um, so if you've been around the Bible or Christianity for a while, I think it can be easy to gloss over the miracle here, to be like, okay, yeah, yeah, he healed the blind man, but like, what's the bigger picture? And so I think before we jump into that, which we will, I think just taking a moment to appreciate that Jesus physically healed this man's eyes, that he was blind and now he can see, because um, that was a man without hope that Jesus gave hope um, so that he could see the greater hope of, of what was to come. Um, and there's an interesting quote that I read as I was going into this from Charles Spurgeon. Um, and so he, he kind of wrote a piece of commentary on this, and I just think it's, we'll just read through this and then, and then talk about it for a second. Um, so this is Spurgeon talking here. There's two, two slides. Our Lord Jesus did for the blind man what never had been done before for any man. This pleasing fact seems to me to be full of consolation to any persons here present who labor under the idea that theirs is a most peculiar and hopeless case. It is probably not so solitary and special a case as you think. But even if we grant your supposition, there is no room for despair since Jesus delights to open up new paths of grace. Our Lord is inventive in love. He devises new modes of mercy. It is his joy to find out and relieve those whose miserable condition has baffled all of their help. 
His mercy is not bound by precedence. He preserves a freshness and originality of love. If you can find no instance in which a person like yourself has ever been saved, you should not, therefore, conclude that you must necessarily be lost, but rather you should believe in him who doeth greater wonders and marvels unsearchable in the way of grace. Isn't that such a beautiful way of looking at this and and such good news for our, our weary souls? I think far too often we can search for hope and renewal outside of just the simple news of, of who Jesus is and the grace and the love that, that he brings. And I love that line that our Lord is inventive in love, um, that Jesus will love you uniquely the way a friend would or a family member would, right where, you at, right where you're at perfectly, he will love you. This doesn't mean that there's, uh, I just want to be clear, it's not, not new inventing ways of salvation. There's only one way to forgiveness through Jesus, but Jesus loves you to salvation in a way that is particular to you. Just like the blind man who had been blind his entire life and never thought he could be saved, Jesus loved him in a particular way. He's relational, and his grace is vast as an ocean, um, experienced over and over again as we wade through the sufferings and the trials of this life. So just to call this out here this morning before we kind of dive into the rest of this, if you're feeling worn down today, if you're suffering, if you're hopeless and weary, take heart that Jesus sees you. Um, that Jesus leans down in the dirt with a man born blind, meeting him right where he's at and physically healing him so that he can see the greater healing that's about to be done, which is on the inside. But we'll get to that. So let's dive into the divine side here on the brokenness that we see in this passage. So on the divine side of things, um, let's read John 9, 1 through 5 again because the disciples are asking this question, trying to understand what's going on with this man as Jesus sees him. So as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So I think for their context and time in history, the disciples are asking the right question. Because they're relying on their knowledge of the Old Testament and what's been set in place historically and looking at this man, assuming he's blind because of something that he did or that his parents did. Uh, Even some commentary said that they might have thought he would be blind because of something God knew he would commit in the future, and so God was already punishing him for that. Um, And it's interesting because as I looked into this, this showed up quite a few times in the Old Testament. It was cool because Spencer actually pulled some of the same exact quotes last week, if you were here, uh, that I was planning to reference. And so... Um, if you remember back to last week, if you're here, if not, don't worry, I'll, I'll talk about it. But uh, we read about God's faithfulness, where God refers to himself as I am and, and starts describing himself. And then Jesus, in that same passage, says, before Abraham was, I am, calling himself God. And so the, the specific part I wanted to draw out here is that there's this idea of sin passing from one generation to the next. And that comes from Exodus, when the Israelites are given the Ten Commandments, And as you might know, they basically always break them. Uh, Before Moses even comes down from the mountain to give them the Ten Commandments, they've already made a golden calf and started worshiping it. Um, And so this is kind of where we'll we'll read here in a second in Exodus, where this idea of God talking about that sin going from generation to generation, I think that comes from. So let's read Exodus 20. This is Exodus 20, 4 through 6. God says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This may or may not be what the disciples are referring to, but I think this is the context that, that they're in. This idea that God will visit the iniquity of the fathers to the children for generation to generation. And I would guess that this is the general feeling people had in this time towards people with physical or, or mental ailments, that their forefathers, they themselves had committed some sin, and so they were getting punished for that. Um, and so what's interesting is, you know, when I looked at that idea of the iniquity of the fathers passing down, it shows up all over the Old Testament. Um, and it's almost always in reference to this commandment. So, but there's also almost always a greater hope proclaimed, just like it says here, showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me. And another way that could be translated is showing steadfast love to thousands of generations. And that paints such a beautiful picture of the story that God's been telling throughout, throughout all of history. Adam and Eve were the original sinners who brought about the sin of curse, uh, this, the curse of sin and death. And they stain all of us. And that, that's the truth, right? When that we're all under a curse and that our mothers and fathers passed down iniquity and inadequacy and baggage from generation to generation. And our legacy is brokenness. And so God had to provide a better way. He shows us steadfast love from generation to generation. He does that through Jesus. So when the disciples ask this question, Jesus says, no, that, that's not true. I mean, absolutely, we know his, this man's sin and his parents' sin, but Jesus is telling a bigger story here. Um, so let's read that again. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So again, of course this man and his parents sinned, right? They, they like, that it's true that he sinned, but this man isn't being punished because of his sin. We all have sinned. Jesus did not come to enforce the law, but to bring new life, to bring a new law. And he came to display the works of God. And oftentimes, I think when I start to read verses like verse 4, we must do the works of him who sent me, I immediately start thinking of, okay, what does this mean? What do I have to do in my life? Um, but here's the good news. We preached on this about uh, three chapters ago. So we're going to go and read that again because uh, this same question comes up. When Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then they start following him around and saying, hey, can you give us more of that bread? That was, that was really good. And uh, Jesus says, you're just following me around because you want my bread, but I'm telling you, you need food that endures eternally. And so then they all look at him and they say, they say to Jesus, what must we, be, we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So if your mind immediately starts to go to and you think about working the works of God, what do you have to do? I just want to relieve you of that burden that, that Jesus is talking about believing in him, believing in the work that he's done. That's what he's taught. That's what the works of God are. That's what Jesus is talking about here in John 9, about working the works of, of him who has sent him. And if you're still not convinced, um, here's Jesus again in Luke. We'll pull it up in a second, talking to a group who are asking about something that happened to a group of sinners. And Jesus had just finished talking to them in Luke 12 about how they aren't interpreting the signs correctly, about who he is and how they keep focusing the law and their tradition, and it's binding them, uh, blinding them to who is right in front of them. That, that's, that's what's playing out here is that Jesus is bringing something brand new, and people can't see it. So in Luke 13, 1 through 5, we read, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. 
And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Of those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So here's, here's what's going on here. Is the question the disciples ask is anchored in an old way of thinking. They still haven't connected the dots on who Jesus is and how he's going to fill the old covenant and bring about a new law, a better law. What he, what he is about to do in healing this blind man, he's going to get accused of breaking the Ten Commandments because he works on the Sabbath. So here's kind of the key takeaway from all this as we look at the brokenness that's in this passage is that it impacts all of us. It impacted this man. It impacted everyone before this man all the way back to Adam and Eve. And so this is true of all of us, that we're all blind sitting here in, in front of Jesus. And we need to put our hope and trust in what he's done for us. Otherwise, we will perish because we're all guilty under the law. There's no one who kept it perfectly. So with that, let's talk about blindness. So um, this will be, be quick here, but um, I just wanted to talk for a moment about the human side of physical blindness. Um, there may be some of you who are uh, blind or partially blind that are here this morning, and um, if you go and you look for verses on blindness in the Bible, you'll find hundreds of verses on, on the topic. It's all over the place, uh, and it weaves back and forth between physical blindness and spiritual blindness because they're very interconnected. And one of the reasons for this, I think, is that blindness is such a tangible example of who we are apart from Christ. It, it illustrates very clearly what it is like to not see the hope of the gospel, to not know who Jesus truly is. Uh, and also, I think it's interesting, most people, I, I was curious what the stat was because how my brain works, like how many people are going to struggle with seeing at, at some point? And so I found this wild stat that estimates that 75% of adults in the world need some sort of vision correction. So a lot of more of you should have glasses on right now, but... <laughs> But uh, meaning there's some issue with, with their eyes. Uh, and obviously that isn't complete blindness, but um, it's an issue with our vision and an issue uh, with what we can see. So this is, this is me. I don't know how well they'll show up there. So this is me when I was about four or five years old. Uh, and I had a really bad lazy eye. So I would look you straight in the eyes and then this one would just start doing its own thing, uh, which is cool if you're a chameleon, but not, uh, not a human. So um, so I had to wear an eye patch to help correct it, uh, and I eventually actually needed surgery because the eye patch didn't work. So if I take my glasses off right now, you're all, I can see you're all just a little fuzzy. Uh, it also makes it really hard to read my notes here, but um, people love to mess with me when I take my glasses off. How many fingers am I holding up? You know, <laughs> love it when people do that. Uh, I, always, I do always get it right for what it's worth, but, um, but the point is this. We can all relate to this. Very few of us have perfect vision. We all struggle to see clearly. There's tons of songs written about this, right? Um, and so I came across this, this beautiful quote from Helen Keller, who, uh, if you don't know, she was born, uh, or shortly after she was born, was blind and deaf. Um, and so she wrote a book uh, a long time after, when she was a kid, about meeting her teacher, Ann Sullivan, who's the woman who would eventually teach her how to read and how to speak. Um, and so she, this is Helen Keller in her, her book called The Story of My Life, reflecting on what it was like meeting Ann Sullivan for the first time. Have you ever been at sea in a dense fog when it seemed as if a tangible white darkness shut you in and the great ship, tense and anxious, 
groped her way toward the shore with plumet and sounding line, and you waited with beating heart for something to happen? I was like that ship before my education began, only I was without compass or sounding line and had no way of knowing how near the harbor was. Light, give me light, was the wordless cry of my soul, and the light of love shone on me in that very hour. I felt approaching footsteps. I stretched out my hand, as I supposed, to my mother, and someone took it, and I was caught up and held close in the arms of her who had come to reveal all things to me and more than all things else, to love me. Isn't that a beautiful, heartbreaking picture? I think the, the reason that I resonated so much with this is because I think that's who, that's who we all are. Apart from Christ, we're a ship lost in the fog with no compass or sounding line. We're cast adrift, and we can't even see where it is that we're going. If you close your eyes, like, you can't see, and you need someone to open them. You need light. So with that, let's talk about the divine side of of what it means to be blind. So let's read again uh, in John 9 here, starting in verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, no, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So as I studied this, again, the thing that probably resonated with me the most uh, was the second part here where the neighbors and the people who had seen the guy begging didn't believe. Um, They couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that this man was blind and now he sees. They didn't have a category for that in their minds. They couldn't believe what they were seeing with their eyes. Uh, And this comes up more with um, next week with the Jewish leaders who questioned this man and eventually Jesus speaks and tells them that he came to he- heal spiritual blindness. Um, but for today though, I think we can just sit in the reality of the blindness of everyone else in this passage. Um, while this man received his physical sight, those around him still have no spiritual sight. They cannot believe what they're saying and yet here's this man like waving his arms in front of them and saying, I, it's me, I, it, I can see. And they're like, I, I don't know, I don't think that's who you are. <laughs> and that, that would be me. I mean, that's, I'm so critical of things in my life. If something seems too good to be true, I, don't, I just don't believe it. I, I need to see the proof and, uh, and yet these people even have proof. They recognized him but they're like, maybe someone that looks like him, I think someone's messing with us. They don't believe that this man received his sight. And that's what's wild about the gospel and what Jesus is doing here. He did something that is too good to be true. He healed a blind man of his sight. But that's who we all are apart from Christ. We're we're blind, unable to see the light. So if you're a Christian here today, this is who you were before Jesus. And if you're not, if you don't believe in who Jesus is, this is who the Bible says you are, that you are blind in the face of the gospel. So here's just a few verses. I mentioned there's, you know, if you look this up, there's hundreds. So I read a lot of these this week, but uh, here's a couple that I, that I drew out that, that I think are worth sharing. This is in Exodus 4.11. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And then in Isaiah 56.10, 
Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like men without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. And then skipping over to the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light, light, shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'll say it again, apart from Christ, we are all blind. And as blind people, we are incapable of saving ourselves. We cannot open our eyes on our own. We will wander around groping at the walls and the spaces around us trying to find something to hold fast to. We're that ship. We're lost in the fog. We don't have a compass or a map or uh, a sounding line. I don't know what that is, but we don't have it. We're bound to crash into the shore against the winds of this world set adrift without light or without hope. And it's God who made light shine out of darkness. So with Jesus, we can see And again, if you're a Christian here today, you were blind and now you see. And Jesus has opened your eyes to see the grace of God. He healed you and he allowed you to see the amazing grace of what he has done for you. You may also be sitting here today as a Christian uh, and you might feel blind. You might feel as if the view of Christ has been distorted. You aren't sure which direction to turn in. Sin or brokenness has weighted you down as you experience the the duality of being a Christian when our eyes are open to Christ and we're spiritually healed and made new and yet we're still here in our broken, sinful bodies, not yet fully reunited with Christ. So we live with like this split personality disorder of like Paul says, where I know what I want to do and I don't do that. Um, We're made new and yet still broken. And so if you're a follower of Christ here today and you resonate more as someone who is blind than someone who sees I just want you to rest in the fact that Jesus' blood is covering you, even in the midst of your sin and doubts. He sees you, and he holds you, and I just pray that you would see through the mist of the sin and the brokenness that's covering you right now, and the doubt, and that you would experience the grace of God um, newly and freshly in the way that you first did when, when Jesus first opened your eyes. And if you're here today and you've never seen the goodness of God um, and you've never tasted the grace of of Jesus, then I pray that your eyes would be opened and that Jesus would heal your blind eyes. So with that, let's go to our third point on healing. So let's read again here, John 9, 6 through 7. Having said these things, he spit, spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. So something that's been really helpful for me being here at Hiawatha is that uh, I was taught whenever we read something peculiar in the Bible, uh, we should look for other areas in the Bible where that same thing happens. Uh, And just as a side note, that's been one of the most transformative things for me as I I read my Bible because uh, I think a lot of times, especially when you're in the Old Testament, uh, you can read things, you're like, what does that mean? Like, I don't, I don't have a category for what that is. And yet, when you start to kind of make connections to other areas where that same thing has happened, 
the whole story starts to take on greater, greater meaning. So I just encourage, if you're not reading the Bible that way, find someone who does, sit down, read the Bible with them. And it's just, it's so amazing to see all these beautiful connections that happen in the Bible and how it really does tell one great story. The Bible's one big narrative that starts with creation and then the fall and then running through the whole Old Testament of the law and the prophets and the kings and all of that aiming and pointing ahead to Jesus and what he would do. So now when we come back to this story and we have Jesus spitting on the ground and making mud with his saliva and rubbing it in this man's eyes. Uh, And initially I was like, I don't know, what does this mean? I don't know if this can be anywhere else in the Bible. And, And it's not exactly, but what it did draw me back to is the creation narrative where God makes man. So let's read that. This is so, I just think this is so cool. So just see if you can find the connection here. Genesis 2, 5 through 7, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This imagery is just so striking. On the one hand, you have God creating the earth and breathing life into man for the very first time. This is before the fall when everything is good and right and God made man out of the dust and there's this mist over the ground and he forms us and he breathes life into Adam. And then we know the fall happens and sin enters the world and there's this period of brokenness. And then here's Jesus, the God-man, crouching in the dust with a man born blind, a man impacted his whole life very practically by the brokenness of the world that came about because of the very man that God created back in in early creation. This man was affected by his forefather, Adam. And here's Jesus crouching in the dust and the dirt, and he spits and he makes mud, and he rubs it in the man's eyes, recreating them, making them new. So when you juxtapose these things and and hold them right next to each other, I think you start to see the grand story that's playing out in just this one simple act. You start to see how Jesus is making all things new. He's recreating this man's eyes and and he's actually shouting at everyone around him saying, look at what I'm doing. I am doing a new thing. I am recreating the brokenness in this world. And Jesus would do a much greater work than this. Instead of spit, he would give his blood and his body. Jesus would die on the cross. And instead of just physically healing this man's eyes, which would eventually wear out again, Jesus would give his body to be broken once for all. So that those who would believe in him could be reconciled to God and sit in the amazing grace of the work that he's done for us. So again, I just want to say, If you don't know Jesus today, if you've never seen him face to face, think of the brokenness that you have in your life. Realize the spiritual blindness that you might have. And then think of Jesus crouching down, getting right level with you and looking into your eyes and saying, I I see you and I'm here for you and I will heal you. I will make all things new. And then believe 
Believe whether for the first time or the thousandth time that Jesus is who he says he is. The great I am. The lamb who takes away the sins of the world. The God who takes joy in loving you uniquely right where you're at. He calls you out of brokenness and blindness, out of sin and death. And Jesus is calling you right now. So come and see the light and rest in the joy of knowing a Savior who sits with you in the mud and the dirt. Um, He suffers with you right alongside you. He suffered the worst punishment that any of us could imagine. He took all of that on for you so that you could be healed. And then more than that, he lifts you up and he cleans you off and he renews and he heals your soul. So my prayer this morning is that you would rest in that anew this morning. Again, whether this is your first time seeing this and believing it or the thousandth time, Would you see a Savior who sits in the dirt and the muck with you, who sees your brokenness, who will open your blind eyes and show you love and grace and mercy that you could have never imagined possible? Let's pray. God, thank you for this beautiful picture of grace, of a man who could do nothing on his own, um, blinded, from birth, from the brokenness that came into this world from Adam and Eve. And God, that you interjected yourself into history, that Jesus, being fully man and fully God, entered in and did a new thing. He healed this man's eyes just as he heals ours to see the light of the gospel, to see the hope that comes through Jesus. Would we all experience that again this morning? Um, would you open blind eyes and blind hearts? Um, and would we just see the, the grace and the love that comes from the gospel and how radical and life-changing that, that simple fact is? Let's pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.